What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Random Red Shirt Podcast. I am Zach, one of your hosts, and with me, as always, is the other host, Chris. What's going on, Chris? Hello, Zach. As always, great to see you. Great to be here. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us around the world. Just awesome to be here and talk about the things we love, talk about Star Trek, talk about Star Trek Voyager, which we're going to do today. It's going to be excellent and so much looking forward to it. So yeah, I know you are, yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime we talk Trek, I look forward to it. Um, I mean, I look forward to all of our episodes, but, but you know, Trek's got a special place. So it's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. This is season four of our podcast. And so for those of you who have been listening from the beginning or may have gone back and listened to previous episodes, you may have noticed a little bit of a trend in our podcast. Each season of our of our show, we have gone through and, rec- and uh, reviewed, talked about, um, discussed kind of a wave top approach to each series within the Star Trek franchise. So for example, our first season of the podcast, we started in order and started with the original series. And then when next gen and season two, season three, DS9, and of course now here, season four, we have reached the fourth installment in the Star Trek franchise, Chris, and that is Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, what a uh, what a bold adventure and kind of a um, this whole idea of Star Trek Voyager was. I mean, I th- they they took a lot of, they really took the the series in a in a completely different direction completely different area quite literally yeah literally literally <laughs> and figuratively so yeah um you know just great job and and i thought an original direction they did for sure for sure um, yeah. yeah certainly not i i don't know that this would have been a show just like ds9 that would have been created while gene roddenberry was alive they 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 took the franchise in a little bit of a different direction than i think gene would have gone um and you can make arguments whether that's bad or good i i i love the direction they went initially with uh, obviously ds9 ds9 never would have been made probably with with gene roddenberry are uh, still alive so that being said um voyager is certainly maybe the most unique uh or one of the most unique in, in the star trek franchise right just because of, of where it, where it takes place and kind of the idea behind it and we'll get into that in a little bit um but yeah it's gonna be fun i'm looking forward to talking about voyager uh we can we'll talk about some of our general thoughts of <clears throat> this series uh, here in the first part of Voyager. And then we will dive into season one and two and kind of give some highlights uh, as far as episodes that stood out to us. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be fun. Yeah. So let, let's dive in, Chris. Let's talk about Star Trek Voyager. Um, we do have some incredible, incredible announcements uh, coming down the pipeline for the, uh, for the podcast. Um, if you listened to our previous episode where we talked uh, with Mark and Erica from Shuttle Pod Show, uh, then you will know some of that. But if you haven't listened to that yet, please go back and listen to that uh, where we talk about the Shuttle Pod Show uh, podcast that they produce and host and um, also a co-host with with Connor and Dominic from from Enterprise, as well as um, the live event. They will kind of uh, also you know hit again on this in this episode. Chris and I are going to be uh, uh, down at, in L.A. Uh, the weekend of Super Bowl Sunday to uh, mingle with a variety of Star Trek actors. We're going to hopefully have some recording sessions for you that we that will air at a later date. And we're going to be bringing you some amazing content from that, Chris. I cannot wait to get down there. It'll be great to see you again in person because the last time we were together in person was the Las Vegas Star Trek convention back in August of 2021. Yeah, that was a moment ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah so that was at least be... a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to um, enjoy it. It's going to be just a great experience meeting everyone there. 
I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. It's gonna we'll be have to, yeah, we'll have to share our overall thoughts of the actual event that they put together. The shuttle pod show puts together, yes. um, on top of obviously the other, the other interviews and stuff that we'll hopefully have. Um, we look forward to sharing that. Uh, if you already listened to the episode we just did with, uh, with Mark and, and Eric, Erica, then um, not Eric, Erica, then um, you will we'll get some of those details. Um, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. But we are here to talk about Star Trek Voyager, aren't we, Chris? And yes. Yes. This is the fourth installment in the greatest sci-fi franchise of all time, Star Trek. Uh, it first <laughs> Whoa. Aired... Whoa. I know, I know. You slipped that's... that in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I slipped that in there. Yep, that's true. Yeah, I sure did. Uh, but this is the first the, the the series first aired uh, January 16th, 1995 on UPN. That was a, a new a newer ish channel uh, that 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 was around back in the mid 90s um, network, I guess. Uh, we can talk about some of that later, whether that was a, a good decision or not to, to bring it to UPN. But it went on there with a pilot episode, The Caretaker. Now, uh, I I would this is definitely falls into what I would consider that classic Trek, right? The, we've talked about this before in the podcast, the original series through enterprise. That's for me personally, what I would consider classic Trek. Uh, and then anything after enterprise, I would consider modern Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely unique from the other shows and the Voyager is propelled 70,000 light years into the Delta quadrant and spend seven seasons trying to get back home to the alpha quadrant. Uh, it is the first series to follow a crew away from the Federation, and everything we've known about Star Trek up to Voyager, Chris, is is completely different because they're so far away from home. They're not around the Federation. They don't have help in the sense that you you would on the Enterprise or even you know to some extent DS Nine. And this series followed along with DS Nine for about five seasons. So DS Nine premiered in nineteen ninety three, I believe it was. And then DS9 came or uh, Voyager came on in nine, 1995. So I think it was about the time season three kicked off of DS9 is when when Voyager would have aired somewhere along that, oh, that time okay. period. Um, so we've got a little table setting there. Uh, and, you know, this is a great this is a great series. There, there are people I have friends who some people bash Voyager. They they did. They, they just don't like it. They don't. There's a lot of things they don't like about it. Um, we'll get into some of our thoughts as we go along, and um, you know, for those of you listening to this, we'll be curious on your thoughts and what you think of Star Trek Voyager up to this point. But this is going to be great. We're going to jump into this and um, get talking about a little Voyager, Chris. Yeah, yeah, it is going to be it, it is going to be awesome. I mean, what a refreshing and kind of promising premise Voyager had completely um, in the first place. Because you're right, they they were in a completely different quadrant of the galaxy, the the Delta Quadrant, um, away from the Alpha Quadrant. And a complete, complete blank slate for the creators of the show to have as much creativity a, a, as they wanted. Like in the Alpha Quadrant and in and in TNG and in the original Star Trek, right? We we had some of the the races that had developed, like like pretty much had good development with with our with our Klingons and Vulcans and Romulans and the Federation yeah. and all of those characters. But then the Delta Quadrant just this complete opportunity for them to meet entirely new like species um and to get into entirely like new new dilemmas so i think that that was the great part of it too i mean you're right on on the deep space nine there was a little even overlap in that first episode of the caretaker right i think i think there there's some scenes where they're on the ds9 station some of the yep. some of the crew members crew members from voyager 
they brought in the good show to kick off the new show. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they, 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 but think about that though, right? They did that with DS9. They bring in the Enterprise and and Picard to kick off DS9, right? For the familiar face. They do the same thing with Voyager where they bring in Quark and the station as familiar faces, familiar setting to kick off Star Trek Voyager. So it kind of makes sense. Actually, yeah, it does. It's a really yeah. good technique too, to, to do that for sure. They didn't do that in Enterprise. Yeah. They didn't bring in because Enterprise is set in a, as, a, as a prequel to those series. They didn't do it then, but but uh, certainly an interesting interesting way to, hey, we're going to bring in something new to kick off this new series or yeah. something something familiar to kick off a new series. Yeah. Would have been awkward if they did that in Enterprise, if they found a way to do that. It would kind of be <laughs> like, like wait, well, that was weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wait a second. This does, something doesn't fit here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. So, I mean, I know in Voyager, like, like, yeah, like you said, it premiered January sixteenth, nineteen ninety five. I think that was the kind of the flagship, um, flagship show that was supposed to launch like UPN in its beginning. And I know there was there was so much anticipation uh, with Voyager coming out. Even I'm I'm sure there was pressure with the with the show creators on on wanting Star Trek Voyager to be a success. Um, and I know that they they had wanted to bring back those themes of like exploration that was similar to, to TNG. So, so that yeah. was great. A little, you know, uh, DS nine was, was on the station and DS nine had a, a lot of conflict between the, um, the different factions um, and characters in, in DS nine. And so, you know, Voyager was completely new slate, uh, a crew having to deal with the circumstances that, that they were there. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. And, pressure of the fact that you have a series now with the first leading female captain in, mm-hmm. in the in the franchise we, we we see other female captains in star trek and tng uh in particular uh with you know captain uh, rachel garrett i believe was her name captain the enterprise c and yesterday's enterprise you had other other you know higher up females you had admirals like admiral nechev and stuff like that but this is the first time you get a leading you know, female captain, a female um, character being the, 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 I'd say the kind of the head of the show, right? Like the leading part mm-hmm. of the show. So that there, there's certainly was pressure there. I would imagine. I, I can imagine the pressure that Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway must have felt stepping into those shoes. And we'll get it. You know, I know Chris will get into that in a minute. When we meet the crew. Um, and, and yeah, there would have been some serious pressure there, right. To get it right. And to, to make a good impression because, um, you know, you, you may, if you don't get it right early on, you may turn viewers away and the show may not be successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely true. You know, lo- looking, looking at it now, um, what a fantastic like overall job that they did and what, it, what impact that they made into the Star Trek fan- franchise. Um, it was, it was actually pretty amazing um, it, because Voyager, the diversity that is in it is in Voyager. I mean, even the diversity of, um, you know, having the captain as a leading lady and then having as much diversity they had in, in the crew was, was awesome. Awesome to see. So, so that's, that's excellent. Yeah. What about the ship? Sure. Yeah. Did you like the ship? I loved, I like the ship. I like the intrepid class Voyager. Yeah. I, I think it was, it was certain it was, I, yeah, I definitely love yeah. the intrepid class ship. It's, it's got this great combination of, of uh defensive uh, nature it's it's got the the places to do your science and your ex- exploration and things like that but it's also equipped with an ability to defend itself um 
And it was very unique in the sense that the nacelles folded up. Like when it went into warp, then it would fold up and then it would go. I thought that was really a cool touch because you don't see that from a lot of the other uh, ships you saw up to this point. They were all yeah. fixed nacelles versus this, which actually folds up. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's right. You've got so great design. You've got Voyager on your shirt. It's look, looking good. Yeah. yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it. I, I know that Voyager also brought in a lot more uh, CGI that had been used in the Star Trek shows before. So I think they did a really nice job of actually bringing in CGI. I know they still had some models, um, and they had that beautiful like opening cinematic uh, cinematic scene with the with the opening credits. But strong use of CGI. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about some episodes down, down the line um, where they did use CGI. But let's let's meet the crew. Let's meet yeah, the, the let's crew. Do it. Of, um, so we do have our leading our leading lady and um, just a wonderful anchor of, of Voyager, Captain Catherine Janeway, played by Kate Mulgrew, our first leading female captain. Um, again, like Zach said, not not the first female captain in Star Trek, but but the first so critical. Uh, leading captain and anchor of the one of our Star Trek series. Um, so she's a scientist, like extremely, extremely smart. We get to see some of her science acumen, I know, through, throughout some of the episodes, and it's really kind of enjoyable uh, to kind of see her have that very, very analytical and scientific part, like amongst, like alongside her command abilities. So that, that was kind of unique. You know, not, not something we saw, I think, uh, as much in the other captains, but, but Cat. You know, Captain Janeway certainly had that. So she is, interestingly enough, um, and I learned this um, not too long ago, um, but she was not the first actress to be cast as Jane as Janeway. So right, Kate, yeah, Kate Mulgrew was actually the second actress. So the first first actress was Genevieve uh, Bujold. I know she was a like an award uh, Oscar nominated actress, and so. Very accomplished actress, uh, yeah. Very accomplished actress, yeah. So I think um, Genevieve Bujold, she worked just two days filming, and then and then after that just decided, you know, it wasn't for her, and, and the creators of the show brought in, and um, Kate, Mul Kate Mulgrew came in and auditioned and, and became Captain Janeway. So that was, that was wonderful. Could you I imagine Kate Mulgrew, the pressure she was under? I mean, think about that. Right? She's mentioned this. She's mentioned this. Um, at convention speaking, she might've mentioned this at the convention we were at in 2021, um, where, wait, was she at the convention that you went to? Oh, wait, no, uh, I don't. she was not. No. Okay. never mind. I'm, I'm thinking of last year's 2022. She mentioned that, you know, and she's mentioned that several times when I, I've seen her speak that the pressure that she felt to come in and get it right, because she, she wasn't the first actress, right? She, she was coming in. Uh, you already had had some level of dynamics established uh, amongst the crew crew, meaning the, the actors and so forth. Um, and so you had that, that dynamic built there. And so she's coming and stepping into uh, a, a new setting um, and she's got to nail it. She's got to nail it right from the get go in order for people to, you know, the, the, the cast and everybody else to accept it and for her to just take off and own this role because what's to say the same thing wouldn't happen to her. Right. So I, I can only imagine the amount of, insurmountable pressure and she mentions too i believe i think it was the first time she was on the bridge and the first scene she was filming or something like that that i think some of like the big wig executives were like off camera watching her to see how she was gonna do if she was the right choice then everything like that because they had to get it right 
And she knew she had to go in and just nail her marks in order to make it make it work. And obviously she did because she she, you know, she is Captain Janeway. So um I, I can imagine the insurmountable pressure she had to have been under, uh, you know, to nail the lines and nail everything and to be that Captain Janeway. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I was I was reading a little bit about her her casting experience and and she had said she had gone in into the casting experience and that um, in the room and her observation was like the vast majority of of the people and the executives in there were all male and and yeah. and like one of the few females if maybe the if maybe the only female in there that was part of the casting was um jerry 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 taylor yeah she was the wasn't she the yeah. showrunner for for voyager i think she yeah was, wasn't she? yeah and the kind of the um the mother uh, the creator of uh, i should say the creator I, I believe of of captain janeway so yeah you know near and captain janeway is near and dear to to jerry that's taylor. right the yeah. convention that, that you went to 2021 that we both went to jerry taylor spoke on stage i believe and she kind of mentioned that right that she was kind of the the mother of janeway she did she did and and um i had read that uh, jerry taylor like felt because she created janeway she like embodied janeway so when when then when then then when there was eventually like an act, act, actual actress to become Janeway, that was something of an adjustment that she had to go, go through, right? Because she was felt like she was embodying embodying uh, Captain Janeway and wanted to wanted to be uh, Captain Janeway. Um, but it's interesting when I think when I think about that casting experience um, that would have happened um, in the '90s, and and then the majority of the the people involved in the casting, you know, to be male and and to have just few females involved in that casting decision but you're casting for a female captain i can't right. imagine that would like hap happen today you know i would think there'd be a lot more diversity of of, of thought but yeah. um but it was uh, the 90s man's a different yeah, time it was a different <laughs> different time but yep. um yeah but kate mulgrew just has done i feel just an awesome job of in, embodying the captain and captainship and embodying that character of, of captain janeway i i feel like um She's just really bold, um, and she, and she just goes a hundred percent, and you kind of see that in in Kate Mulgrew and Captain Janeway. You know, she I feel like she's an adventurer, um, kind of similar a little bit to Captain Archer, what where I think they're both bold, they're both like adventurers, um, and I I always felt when I was watching Voyager that Captain Janeway's always she's willing to risk. She's willing to risk things willing to bargain i think probably willing to risk things more than maybe i don't know maybe more than captain picard you gotta think about that that a lot that a little bit but especially in the later seasons of voyager may, maybe not as much in the first couple seasons because and we'll, we'll talk more about this as we yeah. get into the into the first couple seasons but I, I would agree with you i think especially late in the later seasons, she absolutely was yeah yeah um and you get to see her like adjust her kind of internal philosophies and ideals regarding Starfleet, like as she, as she kind of navigates their way through the the Delta Quadrant and, and like how she approaches the Prime Directive in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, yeah. There'll be, there'll be a lot of those discussions throughout these uh, this uh, three part look at Voyager that we do over the next you know several weeks or so. Yeah, yeah. So I feel if if like if there's a real life uh, person that I would compare Captain Janeway to, maybe. Like Amelia Earhart, like is, hmm. is what I was thinking. It's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought they're both, you know, both really like bold adventures. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you mention 
her being similar to Captain Archer. I think you're right there. I would say, like, you know, we've talked about doing an episode at some point where we do, like, a, Oh, Captain, My Captain, right, where we talk yeah. about the five classic Trek captains and putting them in, in in flipping them in situations, right, like putting Cisco in the situation that Picard dealt with and vice versa, you know, and talking about how maybe they would respond based on what we know of them and so forth. And that should be a fun episode at some point down the road. Um, but I, I think that's a really good point you made because I think personally hmm. Archer – and Janeway might have the most difficult captainship, if that's a thing, mm-hmm. of all the captains, right? Because Archer is going out with his, you know, crew, basically all human crew minus minus DePaul, because she's the liaison first officer, you know, eyes of the Vulcans um, as they go out. But they're they're a ship that's going out in the for the first time, first warp five ship from from uh you know Starfleet and all this stuff because the Federation hasn't been found yet. And they're woefully underprepared for what they're what what to you know go up against. They don't have shields. They have polarized hull and blah blah blah. Janeway, right in Voyager, they're thrown seventy thousand light years. They're 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 you know at maximum warp. They're what like seventy some years away. Or it's gonna take forever to, for them to get home. Um, they're all alone. They got nothing to help them, right? And so, because of that, she's got to make a lot of really tough decisions that either challenge her core values which are typically aligned with the federation obviously as as a, mm-hmm. as a starfleet captain uh and all these different things and she's got to try to get her crew home keep them safe there's no one to help her with from the federation i mean she they're really out there all by themselves so if you ask me her and archer and i think you brought this to a good point they're willing to take risks and willing to bargain because they kind of have to they have to do what they have to do in order to to make it out alive and survive so i think that's a great point you brought up yeah, yeah. Um yeah, because we're talking about this just to spend a few more minutes on this. I had been thinking about this and you you said it beautifully, Zach. You said it beautifully. I was thinking about um Captain Janeway and Captain Archer uh, about kind of kind of being on two sides of a spectrum. So you have um Captain Archer who who has he has so he's he's still in the Alpha Quadrant, still kind of has resources, right? They have Vulcans as friends. They've got they've got humans. Um, but he's in this situation where um, there's no institutional knowledge or development of Starfleet or a federation, I should say, right? There's 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 no all of the, there's no all of no development of rules that he can go back to and look at to kind of guide his behavior or his yeah. choices in the situations. So he's making those like on on the fly. Um, but at least he can still like you know he can communicate back home and he. Can, he can communicate with Vulcans when they need help. Would you compare Archer a little bit to like maybe Lois and Clark? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is a great. Let me come out kind of yeah. my comparison, like that first yeah. out into the unknown. Yes. You know, at least for at least for humanity's purposes, because we know the Vulcans had gone out. They were way ahead of of the humans, but um, I kind of would think, yeah, a little Lewis and Clark maybe. Yeah, oh, that was perfect. That was beautiful. Yeah. So he, you. He's got that situation, and then Janeway, who has come from the Federation and Starfleet, and has come from all of that training in the Academy, um, with all of those Starfleet like ideals and and philosophy and training and the Prime Directive, like with her, like not only is she educated in that, um, but she's got it like literally like with with her on the ship, um, but she's away from everybody, so she can't like call from help. So she's in the yeah. situation where. Okay, now she's got all of this institutional 
knowledge um, and experience that she can refer back to, um, but she can't call for help. So, so I think like those are really interesting kind of spectrums, like them them being them being opposite. And I think yeah, you you kind of you framed it framed it kind of beautifully. So that was good. That was good. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Now, so moving moving away from Captain Janeway, and we could talk about yeah. Janeway. I mean, <laughs> no, literally this whole episode, right? And and we'll uh, have opportunities to go back and talk more about Janeway in in other episodes and things like that. But yeah, it's a good 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 start there. You know, of uh, first of her kind leading captain um, for this series. Yeah, yeah, it was excellent, excellent. So we have our first officer, Commander Chakotay, played by Robert Beltran. And what was really interesting is. He's not the tr traditional first officer at all. He is one of the, uh, what we call the Maquis. You know, the, um, yeah, he was a freedom fighter fighting against the Cardassians. And they happened to be, you know, put together in this situation. And he became first officer uh, on the ship. Um, yeah, we, we learned a lot about the Maquis in the uh, previous Star Trek series. <laughs> Deep Space Nine. In Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Indeed, indeed we do. So he is um, the character of Chakotay, you know, from... From native american ethnicity ethnicity um and what what i was learning about when i was learning about that and how the writers wrote in his ethnicity and his background from native america was i, I think they didn't choose a it was kind of, it was general or generic trying to represent all of all of uh native american ethnicities so it wasn't wasn't specific towards you know you know uh, towards one so i think that was that was very interesting and i think yes as far as i know that as far as we both know i think this is the first star trek with the native american um in the lead yeah at least in the, yeah, in the lead, lead position. yeah i have i'd have to think if there was maybe background characters or something that that would have mm -hmm. been that way it's kind of cool because i will say um with a native american representation here i am part native american so that's kind of neat to cool. see I may not fully yeah. look it because I have several other stuff in me, but but from what I understand, family genes and all that stuff, the biggest chunk of me is Native American. So it's pretty excellent, neat to see excellent. that. Yeah. Yep. You know what I, I observed about Chakotay? Uh, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but uh, he's just kind of very very calm. I felt like all all the time, uh, yeah. just uh, very very calm, very steady. Uh, you know, like he's Captain Janeway's kind of strong, strong right hand. Um, and you just see him like playing kind of this cool demeanor all the time. So so I thought that was pretty neat to see how he kind of pl played that off. Um, and he becomes, and I'm sure we'll get to this uh, later when we do later episodes in Voyager 2. But I also felt for Janeway, um, he became Janeway's kind of conscience. conscience. Um, yeah. After a while, right? So, because yep. because Janeway, like we said, she's she's pretty bold. She's gonna take a risk, and she sometimes is on the verge of like doing a decision that might be questionable. And then and then he talks to her, kind of reels her back a little bit. Says, "You really want to do that right now? Uh, maybe 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 thinking about a, a little bit." So, yeah, I think he's a pretty pretty interesting character. I think he's I think he's a pretty good first officer. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it, right, he was part of the Maquis. So he's part of the group of crew members that are being trying to be integrated into, you know, the Federation crew members on board the ship. 
And so I think he does a good job of representing them while also trying to back the captain in order to maintain good order and discipline as a leader in this situation would and as a first officer would. Um, I think the character is 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 written well enough, like you, you mentioned it perfectly, that he is that that level headed, that conscience, that that really good first officer who does who does a good job of supporting the captain in in front of the crew and then behind the scenes is where he says, Hey, you know, I've got an issue with this, or you need to think about this, or you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. blah. And so he's got that really good balance, I think, of of supportive first officer. Yet um, he will challenge the captain at times on her decisions, but he'll do it in a respectful private way. And yes. I think that's really important. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're 70,000 light years from home, it's like you all got to get along if you're going to get home alive, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. I think it was the, fir- you know, the first episode caretaker. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in that, that episode where some of his, some of his uh, fellow Maquis crew officers, uh, they're complaining at, they're complaining about something that's happening on the ship. They complain and, a lot in the beginning. Yeah, they complain a <laughs> yeah. lot in the beginning. And, yep. you know, Chakotay says something along the line of, um, you guys better stop that now or else I'm going to court-martial you. You know, he, he fully he fully backs the captain, you know, in that in that circumstance. So I thought that was that was really good. So he kind of set, he set the line right there. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. So moving away from Chakotay, we have Lieutenant Tuvok. So he is played by Tim Russ. And he is a full Vulcan, full Vulcan, Vulcan, full Vulcan. <laughs> and he's got, we, we learn later, but he does that. He does have a family. Um, and it is a different approach to a, to a Vulcan, right? He's yeah. got a family. He's uh, full Vulcan. And in terms of, um, yeah, this was before T'Pol. So we had, I mean, T'Pol was full Vulcan, but, but this was the first time we had full, full Vulcan on, um, on a Star Trek classic tricks series. Is, is, I'm trying to think back, Chris, to the, the Toss movies or even to Next Gen, any of the other shows that come before it. Is Tuvok the first African-American Vulcan that we meet in the Star Trek franchise? Yeah. I'm trying to remember if there was an African-American Vulcan at some point in the past, the other, other iterations of Trek. I'd have to go back correct. and look. I have to go back and look, I guess, because I don't remember. There might have been maybe in a Toss movie somewhere in the background, but... I don't remember. So even if there was, he's the first, I guess, leading African American Vulcan, and I think I think Tim Russ plays him just perfectly. He's so good at that character. Yeah, yeah, he is. And you could always tell, like, there was so so Vulcans. You know, of course, they're supposed to control control their emotions, but you could always tell, like, it's not that he didn't have. There's emotions there, but he's. He's you. Know, he's he's in control of them. So I th- I thought he played that. Yeah, like like you said, he played that like really well, and you could see that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And he he, yeah. he has a history with Janeway too. Oh yeah. Janeway have have a relationship, have a friendship going back because I believe they served together prior to Voyager, if I remember correctly. Yes, he knew her for four years. He says yeah. that in season one. Yeah, where they yeah, right. they've known each other for four years. So you're right. Yeah. So that they, they, yeah, and oh by the way, not to forget, I know I didn't put this in the notes, but um, Tuvok was disguised disguised himself as a member of the Maquis. Yes, and he played the Maquis when once they got on board the ship, the ship, and they found out oh he was actually infiltrating the Maquis as a member of Starfleet. Yes, 
So that that was an interesting twist. Like if you're watching Voyager for the very first time, right when it's airing, and you think there's this Vulcan Maquis, right? He's like a rogue Vulcan, so to speak, or whatever. And then all of a sudden he turns on the Maquis and he's actually Starfleet. And you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming because, you know, the whole Vulcans don't lie thing. <laughs> so he clearly kind of did. Yeah. What a twist for Chakotay, right? How would Chakotay yeah. have felt? Yeah, because Chakotay prides himself, I think, and we'll talk about this later, yeah. on being able to read people and 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 see mm -hmm. things coming. And he's very intuitive. And so... When those kind of things happen, it really gets to him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he got he got deceived. He got played. He got played. Yeah. yeah, he got played yeah. for sure. He sure did. All right, yeah. We do have Lieutenant Tom Paris as well, the pilot of the ship, played by Ravi Duncan McNeil. Yep. Um, so he is brought on. He's got somewhat of a dubious past uh, from some, some previous uh, things that happened to him um, that I think involved the Maquis as well, if I'm not mistaken, I think. I think they might have involved the monkey um but know. yeah yeah he was he was brought on board by jane y bay making a deal uh, she made a deal to get him out of a federation penal colony um and his father is admiral paris and admiral paris i know he plays a much much uh, more significant role in the the later episodes yep of a voyager um but Played by the by the great Richard Hurd. I got to meet him one ah. time at a convention. He's passed away now, unfortunately. He he also played George's boss for the New York Yankees and Seinfeld. Great, great uh, actor. Uh, was a very nice guy when I met him, and unfortunately, he has uh, he is not with us anymore. So, but uh, but yeah, Admiral Paris uh, certainly becomes a, a a important character later on in the series as Voyager is trying to get home. Yeah, yeah, I I do I. I I think Robbie Duncan McNeil, he played the part um, pretty great. Like he was in some early episodes of TNG too, right? He was, he was, um, he played a, a different character as a did. cadet. It was in that episode where they lie about the accident that kills one of the cadets with uh, Wesley. Yes. At the Academy. Yep. Yep. So that was, that was pretty. He was yeah. not, he was not Tom Paris in that episode, but he certainly looked like yeah. Tom Paris in that episode. Yeah. His character young, started with version. an L. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Started with an L, but I can't recall. Yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah, but um, he played in Voyager. I know he played. He was pretty roguish, I think, uh, and roguelike, roguelike yeah. character. Kind of went his own his own way and becomes becomes best friends with uh, Lieutenant Kim. So that was that was kind of neat to see their friendship kind of grow. Yeah, they have a great friendship on the on the uh, on the ship. Um, I, you know, he's also the best pilot on Voyager too. It's made mm -hmm. numerous statements. And there's several episodes dealing with his his piloting skills. He flies the ship. Anytime you see him on the bridge, he's at the he's at the ready. He's flying the ship around. And uh, later on, we get in the series to talk about the Delta flyer that they build and his 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 kind of baby that they build up and his flying and wanting to you know go faster than warp ten. All these different things we'll talk about as as we go on in our look at Voyager. Uh, yeah, I. I Tom Paris is my favorite character in the in the series. Oh, he is. Oh, okay. he is. Yep, he is my favorite character from from uh, from Voyager. Nice, well, yep. cool. Oh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, yeah, we'll talk let's, about that later. Let's yeah, continue. We got yeah. plenty more crew members to meet. <laughs> we have Lieutenant Belana Torres, uh, played by Roxanne Dawson. So she was also a Maquis, half Klingon. Ends up they she and Tom Paris they marry and they have a, a child in the last season or the final episode. We see them. Happen. Yeah, it's born in that last step. It's it's. I think that the the baby's born right as they all of a sudden they come out of the, the uh, the gateway, 
that's been destroyed behind them that was a Borg gateway or trans trans warp gateway, whatever they uh, call it. Yeah. They see Earth, you know, Riser getting ready to see Earth and he runs back to meet his kid. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> never seen Voyager before. Now you know. Yeah. But yeah. I guess that, we're we're, yeah. we're assuming if you're listening to this, you've probably seen Star Trek Voyager. I mean, it has been out long enough. So yeah, it aired in 1995. So hopefully, yeah, it's just a year or two ago. So yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, the you know the character of Balana is like pretty interesting. We get to see her struggle um, with like embracing both sides of her Klingon heritage and her her human heritage. So that that is that's very interesting. I do they I think they do that very tastefully and very well in those those episodes that they explore. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and a hot temper she's got, and she. Oh, jeez, does yeah. she ever? Does yeah. she ever? Yeah. So, and she becomes chief engineer. I think after the first couple episodes of the of the show, so that was great, great for her. And we've got Ensign Harry Kim, played by Garrett Wang, Wong. Excuse me, played by Garrett Wong. And so he is, um, I think it was, it's pretty great. He's a leading Asian, Asian actor. Um, and, and that means a lot for me too. Um, so you know he follows in in those same footsteps of of Sulu. So that's great, great that that happens. Um, you know, leading le- leading Asian characters, I think in in the '90s, uh, in the early '90s or mid '90s. I don't know how prevalent that was. I, I don't have anything that that comes to, comes to me. I have one show that I I truly love called Vanishing Sun that did have a leading Asian man. Russell Wong, which was which was awesome, but there's not that many others that that comes to me. Yeah, so, I, I can't think of many either. Yeah, yeah, but the running kind of joke that we even heard um, Garrett Wang Garrett Wong talk about at the Star Trek convention is that he never gets he never gets promoted. The whole That's show. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I don't understand how Lieutenant Paris can get promoted. Coming from a penal colony. When, when he got promoted, then he got demoted, and then he got promoted again. Yeah. How's that happen? Lieutenant Kim doesn't happen. Anything happen in seven years? I mean, he's on he's on the bridge. He's part of the senior staff, and you're telling me you never in seven years he's just a lowly ensign for seven years. That tells me he was doing something wrong. But you sure as heck know he was a part of a, an integral part of that crew. Yeah. Maybe his reports were always late. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. Yeah, that paperwork will get you, man. That paperwork yeah. will get you. Yeah. We've got uh, the doctor played by Robert Picardo. Um, he was cool, right? He's an EMH, um, the emergency medical hologram computer program, and he is the doctor. I thought Robert Picardo just did just an awesome, awesome job playing him. He was he was funny um, and and sharp, so he was awesome. Yeah, we also see him as the EMH in Star Trek First Contact when the Borg first show up on board the Enterprise after it's gone back in time. Remember, and and you got, oh, uh, you, okay. got you got Nurse Agawa in there, yeah. and he, he, they they and Crusher activates the EMH, and she's like, he's he's like, I'm a doctor, not a doorstop, and she's like, well, do a dance, te- you know, do a jig, te- do a dance, tell a story, I don't care, but just give us a little bit of time, and then he's supposed to like, basically. They just use the EMH in a way to keep the Borg occupied for a minute or two. But um, yeah, it's funny. See that he does show up in in first contact too. Yeah, so, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we have Neelix played by Ethan Phillips, and that's the first time we ever meet the Talaxians. Um, and Neelix is awesome. I think he's. he's I love Neelix. Yeah, 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 he's great. He's the ship's morale officer. 
um, and the self-appointed cook. I think he removes the, uh, he takes it upon himself, right, to 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 get in the pers- the the captain's kind of dining area and turn that into his cooking area. So that yeah, that, that was great. Such warmth with Neelix. Always found he's very positive and always wanting to help him, and just very very great great character. He's who you definitely want to be around. Oh yeah, and, and yeah. you know he's. He's very positive. There are times where he does get either angry or very depressed. I know there's one episode mm-hmm. we'll talk. We can talk about it another time. But basically, where he, I, I say he he goes into a coma, or I think he almost dies or dies something like that, and then gets brought back or whatever. Remember, and he, he he's been brought up that there's this afterlife that he goes to where all of his family is going to be there, and it doesn't happen. And so he's he's angry and bitter and upset about all of that, and then and then his whole beef early on with with paris over kess and his jealousy he gets very super super jealous about kess so there is a little yes. bit that you see some of that so it's not he's not just a one-dimensional character which is great right he has this this reputation as being that positive warm character you want to be around but they do show some other sides of him which i think is great writing yeah, yeah. he's not just one-dimensional yeah absolutely absolutely and you talk about kess and kess is played by Jennifer Lean. Um, yep. And so she she is one of she plays a new species, one of the one of the new species characters in the show called the Ocampa, which we meet in the very first episode. Character. Yeah. So that was very interesting. Um, and yeah, a wonderful kind of um, interesting character. Like she is, I think she plays a species that only lives what like nine years. So um, yeah, some, something like that. But um, they do eventually. She does eventually leave the show. I think I can't remember after the fourth season or or so but they it's, they do write it, i think it's towards the end of the third season because yeah. jerry ryan comes in as seven of nine in season four i think it's at the end of season three is when they she goes off the show and i can't remember if it's because she started a family and wanted to be just raise her kids or whatever uh, yeah. there's a whole thing with her we won't really get into about in real life about kind of going crazy and medication and all this stuff but um but i think at the time i wanted to say something to do with with raising her family Okay. Yeah. But she yeah. she played she played she played a wonderful Kess. I think Kess was so soft. She she had an innocence to her. Um, you know, there there were so many great moments with Kess in those first few seasons that it really was sad when you get to that point where where the character leaves the show. It would have been yeah. nice if she could have stayed around the whole series. Yeah, for sure. For sure it would have. Um that would have been nice for sure. And we do have seven. So you talk about seven. We do have seven coming in on season four season four i believe and that's played by uh, jerry ryan um and she she is a very very interesting character and she comes in um like as as a borg and then coming back um in into human and so that whole journey that that she's got to uh try and unborg if that's a word and un- <laughs> <laughs> unborg yeah there you unborg go. you sound be- like me chris you're just making up words <laughs> absolutely um so which you know which kind of interesting and she's kind of funny her relationship with the crew i always thought i always thought funny um because she's you know she's helping out the crew so much um but when she when she she's pretty directive in terms of if she needs help um she just calls out a crew member to say like uh like ensign kim report to the uh report to room whatever um and she's just just she doesn't she doesn't ask and she does that with her 
like her superior officers superior officers as well she says come here so it's kind yeah. of kind of funny to see that she's very socially awkward because right she was yes i believe yeah. she was assimilated as a kid yes so she didn't i mean she was she wasn't like a baby but she she basically her whole life's been a borg and so she's this idea of having to assimilate into her new life back yeah. as a human being uh, she's incredibly socially awkward for probably at least a season after she's been deborged or unborged, <laughs> as you say. Um, you know, maybe she's unborged out there on the interwebs and the ether or whatever. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she yeah. So, uh, but she changes over time. She grows, and and we'll get into that as we get into the other parts of this look at Voyager um, about how that transformation takes place and. Yeah, you know, what what goes into that? So it's it's actually a, a really fun, kind of humorous, ironic uh, uh, thing that happens through all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We've got episodes where she's mentored by the doctor, which are pretty funny. We've got um, irony. Irony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the we have the hologram. By a hologram. Yeah. yeah. Hologram who, is mentoring who, the org. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh, it's great. Yeah, I did read that. Um, so I had read that the the intent of bringing in the character of seven was to try and have seven be the spock kind of the spock character to janeway so that was interesting and and the the scenes captain janeway's scenes with seven and captain janeway has more scenes with seven i had read them than with any other character in the show so that was pretty interesting kind of, hmm. i didn't know that yeah i i did hear too that they they brought in seven of nine dressed the way she was specifically to bring in more male interest to the show mm. Um, I've heard that at conventions. I, I heard that Kate Mulgrew wasn't happy about that, not because she had a beef with with Jerry Ryan, but because she was working so hard to, you know, progress her character and show this idea of of a strong woman in in a in a, a significant position, and that kind of felt like she was being undermined because of that. So there was some tension because of that. Mm. Um, you know, whether you agree with it or not, uh, that's that seems to be the 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 running story all these years about why they brought in uh jerry ryan to play seven of nine but the good thing about seven or nine the writers i think did a good job of bringing her along you know maybe a little bit slow at first but i think as she's adapting and learning and and trying to become this new character over the course of the series we see that change and we'll, we'll get into later um which i think is great they don't just make her this one-dimensional former borg that's just the way she is early on i think yeah. it, that's that, that was a good thing yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I do find it interesting, Chris. You mentioned that she was brought in to be like a Spock type character when we already have a Vulcan on board. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, when I, when I think about since since we were talking about this this a little bit, um, Kirk Kirk is trying to help Spock find his humanity, like uh, like as Spock's friend. Little, little by little, and Janeway is in in her way is trying to help Seven find and rediscover her her humanity and herself as a little girl too, like Annika. So um, that's kind of how how I I see it, and I always felt Janeway Janeway must have felt a bit like a mother figure to mm. to to Seven. So um, yeah, yeah. I didn't so, think of it that way. That's really good. Yeah. This is why people tune into the podcast. No. Such great insight. No, no. Yeah. That was no, no, that's good. I I think that's that's probably a good point. It's a good comparison. 
Um, you know, I, I always thought of the Spock type character as mm-hmm. Tuvok because he's the Vulcan, right? Kind of kind of that way. Maybe it, maybe it's stereotyping against Vulcans. I don't know, but um, but that 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 is interesting that you bring that up. I think it's a good good comparison I, I didn't really think of in the past. So interesting, interesting. We've got other notable crew members too, like Seska. Yeah, other people yeah. that aren't considered main characters, but they're they're definitely an integral part of the crew that um are are around enough and and make significant enough contributions to what's going on in the in the series. Yep, we do. We've got Seska. She's played by Martha Hackett. I know she was at least prevalent in the first couple seasons, if I recall. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, she's a Maquis and she's a Bajoran. But uh, then we find out that, no, she's not a Bajoran. She's really, really bad. She's really bad. She's a Cardassian. So um, she goes from being a Bajoran to a spoonhead. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, that was that was interesting. And we've got Ensign Vorik. I think he's a Vulcan, right? He was. A... He is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Alexander Enberg played him. He's a Vulcan for sure. Yep. Good. And we have Naomi Wildman, uh, played by Scarlett Homers and daughter of Lieutenant Wildman. Uh, that's right. Lieutenant Wildman was. Uh, she had a good good amount of time in the show too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She was. Um. I can't remember the species, but she has the little the little uh like horns on her forehead. Like there's like three little. Um. They're not like big horns. They're just little, little ones um, on her forehead when she's born. And then as once the character's older, the the actress who plays her is, has those on her forehead as well. Yeah, yep. so it's it's Katarian, Katarian, something like that. It's like her dad is Katarian, and they have the horns or something along those lines. That's right. We've got Lieutenant Joe Carey. Um, so was he was he the engineer? to recall i'm trying to call which... uh he i believe was part of the engineering crew. yeah okay yeah. and ensign hogan and then some of the some other um some other folks michael jones who's a maquis and yeah, jonas yeah michael jonas, jonas. Ah, yeah crew, crewman jonas he was a he was a significant um uh story arc in voyager right because we remember he sends he starts sending secret transmissions to the kazon and to Seska about the different systems on Voyager and everything like that. He starts selling out the crew. Um, and they later discover that. And then something ends up happening. He ends up dying, but they, something ends up happening. Uh, I don't remember if he's thrown or he does he he takes himself out or whatever it is, but he doesn't he doesn't make it all the way um once he's discovered as being a traitor. Um <laughs> yeah. So he was yeah, an interesting sure. character. I I definitely found like they took kind of like this semi-background character that had a few speaking roles and turned him into uh you know, a fairly significant piece there for a few, for several episodes. Um, and so I think that was kind of cool by the writers to do that, to say, Hey, we're going to take this crewman who's not a main character and make him an integral part of several stories that has a significant impact on board the ship as they're, you know, dealing with the Kazon and, and dealing with, with Seska having already, you know, two face them, three, three face them, whatever. Uh, and, um, yeah. you know, went off, went off with the Kazon. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting for sure. Yeah, so you have you have, you have two two uh former maquis who become deserters or traitors to the crew. And we know that Seska and Chakotay had a little bit of a romantic thing going on when they were maquis and he gets so irate and upset about it. He just he gets so mad that he didn't he he got fooled that Seska played him and he didn't he never caught on. He's so angry about that. So, yeah, that was a, a interesting little story arc there too. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was 
Yeah, because he's willing to sacrifice, I think, everything, right? To to kind of write 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 what happened. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, he just he just up and leaves the ship and chases after her because he yeah. he wants his vengeance. He's like, you're not going to get the best of me, and that's real. That's where you see that some of that level headedness of Chakotay just go whoop out the window. <laughs> He's like, it's I don't care anymore. Like I am go I am gonna I'm gonna fix this. You know, I can't I can't stand the fact that I had the you know the 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 wool pulled over my eyes, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that. But what's cool though, Chris, and like you mentioned this at the beginning when we were talking, start first started talking about uh, Voyager, was that um, by going into the the Delta Quadrant, right? We're in this whole new area of the galaxy. So many possibilities. DS Nine had that with the Gamma Quadrant, partly because that was part of the show, but the rest of the part was the Alpha Quadrant. This show gets an entire quadrant to itself to explore, to bring new species and new stories and new um, conflicts and all sorts of crazy stuff to it. We get some really fantastic aliens. There, there are a few on here that I'm like, eh, you know, like I'm not real big on them. But we get a couple familiar uh, aliens, and then we get several new ones that I think are fantastic. And like the Kazon, for example, they're yeah. kind of like the recurring villains in the first couple of seasons. I don't know. The Kazon to me felt a little underwhelming. Like they had these bigger, they had really big ships, they had really bizarre hair, and they had several different <laughs> sects. S-E-C-T-S, right? Uh, yeah. uh, different different groups of Kazon. You had the Nistrum and the, all these other different variations of them, and they all kind of interfought amongst each other at times. Um, I, I don't know. I to, to me, the Kazon, I just, uh, I, I wasn't, they didn't seem very scary or, or to, to me personally. I don't know what you thought about them, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was reading about the Kazon and how they had developed them, and they had this, this, they had this idea of making the Kazon analogous to the street gangs, like from like street gangs in, mm. in the, our met, metropolis, our urban cities, um, like in LA, the street gangs that were there. And they wanted them to be um, younger. So they wanted like young aliens that were kind of, you know, street gangs. So that's why they had those different se sects, at, you know, SE. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. And, um, the younger actors that they had tried playing um, the Kazon just weren't as um, the quality of them weren't as good as the the older actors. So they stick they stuck with you know older actors playing the Kazon, um, and kind of didn't you know turn out like the way that they had originally envisioned. And they kind of went away from the Kazon after a while. But yeah, that's that's what I that's what I learned. So you get it like when they had the different groups of the Kazon, that's what they were thinking these these kind of different gang groups um, having conflict amongst each other. Um, so that's really interesting um we we did get one episode with a young Kazon played by uh you know rest in peace aaron eisenberg our, our one of our favorite frangie oh, nog yeah. from ds9 he played a young Kazon. there was an episode where he was trying to prove himself as a as an up-and-coming you know uh i guess he would have been kind of like a teen type Kazon or something like that it was an interesting episode um yeah they, mm -hmm. they were interesting uh they just they they just didn't the Kazon never really did it did much for me from a recurring villain perspective, not like a, a Klingon or a Romulan or something like that. You had the yeah. Okampa and the Talaxians, who we've talked about, right? It, it, represented by Kess and Neelix on the ship. And I I thought those were great. I, I think Talaxians are, uh, in my opinion, an underrated alien species in Star Trek. I, I really enjoy the Talaxians quite a bit. They're yeah. 
they're kind of a jack of all trades. They seem like they can do a lot of different things, and they're they're pretty peaceful species, uh, other than the, the war they were in involved with, um, where where there was a lot of death and stuff like that. Um, but they were they were a fairly fairly simple, you know, um, intelligent uh, kind of laid back uh, species to, in my yeah. eyes. We had the Vidians. Now, I thought the Vidians should have gotten more time than they they got. They got several, quite a few episodes early on, but I thought they should have gotten even more. The Vidians were the organ harvesters. They're the ones that would have come in and literally take these scanners over your body and just pluck out your organs. I mean, they did that to Neelix. Took his, they took his lungs. Um, so I, I thought the Vidians were a really fantastic um, idea, and we'll talk about them here again in a bit when we get into the episodes of season one and two. Um, we got species eight, four, seven, two, the interdimensional beans that would just shred board cubes. Like they were tissue paper, uh, complete CGI. Uh, I thought species eight, four, seven, two was awesome. I thought they were a super intimidating. They had massive screen presence. Um, did you have any thoughts about species eight, four, seven, two? I know you're a big fan of the Borg too. So what were your thoughts when you first saw them for the first time? First saw them for the first time. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> repetitive, but you know what I mean. They were they were great because they were exciting and there was so much unknown about them, right? And then yeah. if you have if you have an entity that can that the Borg is afraid of and that mm. can tear up the Borg, you're like, wow, what is this? What is going on? And they came from this place that they called fluidic space. Fluidic, I think that's what they had a fluidic yeah, space, which so. was kind of like, what, what is that? What what is yeah. this? And so, um. Yeah, they. I thought that was a fantastic addition to have species eight four seven two, um, because the, you know, the Borg were, Borg were already like okay, so powerful. You're thinking, oh, if you have this other alien species that could just take out the Borg, that brings certainly a lot of excitement in, into the show. Yeah, and fear too. That's yeah, great. it it. We'll talk about this when we get into like I think season four. Uh, what species eight four seven two did and how it force Janeway to make a really tough uh, decision and alliance with the Borg um, in, in an amazing yes. Scorpion part one and two episode. Um, yeah. We, and speaking of Borg, we get Borg, Borg, and more Borg. Borg, <laughs> the other, other white meat. Um, we get lots of Borg and it's cool because people yeah. love the Borg. We first introduced him obviously in TNG. Uh, you really didn't get much of anything Borg related in 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 DS9, with the exception of some mentions of the Borg, and then Voyager just brings them to the forefront in many numerous episodes. Obviously, when they bring Seven in, that brings the Borg to the forefront in there, and they have a huge impact across what happens with Voyager and how they get home and all this stuff. Um, the Devor were a real interesting species. They're the ones that patrolled around looking for telepaths, and you, if you remember, they had to stow away certain crew members on Voyager in places where the Devor couldn't scan, couldn't scan for them or, or get them. And they'd have these patrols and like the head of the Devor, like really played Janeway to think that he was trying to, um, uh, leave and he wanted amnesty aboard the ship. And then he played her and this, that, you know, so that, that would, they were an interesting couple episodes that we, mm. we saw the Devor in there. Um, the dream aliens, they were another interesting one. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot about them. I wrote them down, but I didn't write anything mm -hmm. additional in there. We get the Ferengi again. Uh, we get a, an episode tied in there with the disappearing Ferengi from a TNG episode with a reference back to TNG. Um, 
the Herosian. Okay, the Herosian I was a fan of. They they were later later season um, five or six maybe in Voyager. They're just they're hunters. They love to hunt species down, and they they love the challenge. And they're these massive, brutal aliens <laughs> uh, that I believe. Did they take control of Voyager at some one point? Yeah. I can't. In yeah, the, holo- I in the holodeck do. too. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a very cool story arc. I thought Herosian certainly fit the bill of, of, of an intimidating menacing um, villain. Uh, the Krenum, the Krenum were, might've been my favorite, you know, guest appearance, alien or alien of the week, whatever they had that um, they were a part of the, of the incredibly, popular two-part episode a uh, year of hell and they're the ones that that go are going through and changing the timeline they're trying to change a timeline just in a certain way that i think brings their their whole society back from annihilation or something like that uh and they're going and they're manipulating the timeline and doing all these little tweaks trying to do it and they have this ship with the technology that can see the impacts and it was a really cool episode i don't know if you remember year of hell part one and two but that was a cool cool two-part episode yeah i do that was that was pretty cool and it was interesting the um the captain i think the captain of the ship at the time um his kind of his detachment like from from everything like he was manipulating the the timeline but when you do that you kind of you decimate entire species and and yeah all right they can never exist or they cease to exist and He's kind of detached from all that, even though like he he has a family. I think I think he had a family, or his family had perished in one of the timelines. So I think that was wasn't it the drop one of the big driving forces behind doing it was to yeah. bring his family back. Yeah, as part of that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he was Chris. He was cold and ruthless. He just he had he had zero feelings about anything. He's yeah. like I'm just I'm I'm maneuvering this you know the timeline like a marionette puppet and just until we get it just right to bring everything back the way it should have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we have the Monians. These were the sea dwellers that were living on a complete water planet created by someone else, and I believe the 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 technology whatever that was keeping the planet like together because i don't mm-hmm. think it had an atmosphere it was just water being held together and it was starting to fail or something like that and voyager was helping them that was kind of an interesting little one-off episode yeah um, and then the trade they're there they were a species you meet i think for an episode maybe two where they come in you feel sorry for them because the kazon have been hunting them down you think that they're on the run and the kazon with a big bad kazon and then you learn what really happens, right? Where they actually, they actually at one point had enslaved the Kazon and hunted yeah. them down to the brink of almost being gone. And then the Kazon revolts and tide is turned. And then Voyager learns all that. It's that, that was an interesting, interesting little story arc there. Um, but yeah, those were a few alien species yeah. that really caught my mind, caught my eye. Not all of them are in the first two seasons, but as we're doing this kind of just brief overview of the show, I thought that it was important to mentioned some of those alien species that really stood out yeah yeah absolutely. did you have any additional ones that, that weren't mentioned that that uh stood out to you i don't have additional ones i will say the vidians uh, oh i do have an additional one um there was and i don't know if they were aliens or who had done them but like a race of photonic beings um in in there that the doc that the doctor connects to at one point um so i have to figure out which episode that was but also the one that I think is really creepy is the Vidians. 
Yeah, they're 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 just gnarly looking, right? They're all p- yeah. pieced together from different species trying to, you know, survive the phage and all this. And it's yeah, they're. I thought the Vidians were one of the most creative alien species that we've seen up to this point in the franchise. Yeah, they are. They are at the same time. Um, they instill like fear, right? There's 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 fear and there's a bit of macabre and horror. Like associated with the Vidi- with the Vidi- Vidians, yeah. But there's also um, yeah tragedy with them, and I think that the doc the doctor develops a um, at least a close bond with one of the Vidian uh, one of the Vidian females at, at one point in a couple in a couple of episodes. So yeah, a lot of yeah. Lot she, of I think isn't she, she's either the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely the Vidians. Um, well, let's take a break, Chris. Let's get a, let's get a break in here and get a word from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. We come back, we'll we'll dive some more into uh, Star Trek Voyager. We'll talk about the showrunner. We'll give some overall thoughts, um, and then we'll we'll look at some highlights from season one and two. Excellent. All right, we'll be right back right after this message. All right, we're back right here on the Random Red Shirt Podcast. Thanks for listening in to part one. And uh, Chris, we're gonna now going to take a look into a few more details about, about Voyager and some thoughts that we've had uh, as for the show overall. And then we're going to jump in and talk about some of the, the highlights for us, whether they're good or bad mm-hmm. as far as the episodes go. But we're going to jump into season one and two and just kind of hit hit on a few things that stood out to us as, uh, as this series kicks off and and runs through its first two seasons. So I found a really interesting quote by uh, the the showrunner that you mentioned earlier, Chris, Jerry Taylor. I believe we actually met her at the Star Trek convention back in 2021. Uh, I think we had a book that she signed for us, which is awesome. Yes. Um, I believe she was the first female showrunner uh, in Star Trek. And I, I thought it was really cool, this quote she had. She said, when, in regards to um, Voyager, she said, we felt a need to create an avenue for new and fresh storytelling. We're forced into cre- we are forced into creating a new universe. We have to come up with new aliens. We have to come up with new situations. She also said, we knew we were taking some risks. We decided in a very calculate- calculated way, excuse me, to cut our ties with everything that was familiar. This is a dangerous thing to do. There's no more Starfleet. There are no more admirals to tell us what we can and cannot do. There's no Romulans. There's no Klingons. There's no Ferengi. Well, maybe one episode. No (laughs) Cardassians minus Seska. All those wonderful array of villains that the audience has come to love and hate at the same time will no longer be there. This is a tricky Mm -hmm. thing to do. So interesting quote she had there about the risk they were taking. You mentioned that, right? um, Earlier in this episode where we talked about um, or excuse me, you, you talked about the risks that they were taking uh, by by doing the show this way, and I thought that that was that was good. So you and the showrunner agree. Um, <laughs> now I'm curious, Chris, what do you think? We we have mentioned this when we talked about other the other series. What do you think about the theme song of Voyager compared to in in comparison to uh, the other shows? I love the theme song of Voyager. I think it's so beautiful, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, you juxtapose the theme song along with the beautiful like opening credits and and the ship like you know passing the planets and going through that gas cloud, incredibly beautiful. Um, I'm not sure which one is. Again, I've been thinking about this, but you know, of of Deep Space Nine and and Voyager because Deep Space Nine is 
a beautiful theme song like as as well um so they are both voyager and deep space nine you know theme songs are, are really 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 up there i i enjoy those theme songs more than the tng theme song for me i think really yeah the tng is catchy but the tng theme song i don't think is original to tng they started using that song in the original series movies correct yeah you're yeah. right yeah so they kind of recycled it so it's not unique to tng i i do think the tng slash toss movie theme song is incredibly iconic um but i agree with you man the the voyager theme song is is, is special yeah, the opening credits. The opening credits is special. All the ship flying around, like you mentioned, it's really, really good. Yeah, it it evokes for me. It evokes this uh, sense of wonder. Wonder, I think, is the word. Um, I think that sums it up. Yeah, for me, it's just it. Yeah. I hear that you just have this sense of of wonder. I can't put it any better than that. I think it was perfectly, perfectly composed. I yes. think um, I, I think that it's super, super catchy. I find myself every time I hear it humming it. Mm. Um, it's I, I, I love the Voyager theme song and the opening credits in general, I think would be that the music and, and, and the visuals are really spectacular. They did an absolutely f amazing job. And, you know, my love for DS9 and those <laughs> of you listening know me and my my, my love fest for DS9. But I don't know, man, that Voyager opening and the theme song is mm -hmm. really spectacular. So, um, it, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, Vo Voyager might be the best, best one. I, I'm just. I'm thinking about like the like, like the visuals of it, mm -hmm. um, and the theme song together. Yeah, I think it might be just the very best one. It's it's really good. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. I I I I I don't know that I disagree with you. Yeah. I a, a big part of me wants to go. You can't do that. You have to say DS Nine. How dare you? I don't know, man. I just, I, uh, yeah, that Voyager one's so good, so good. <laughs> so, okay, well, let's just share some of our overall thoughts for for Voyager, uh, and then we'll jump into season one and two. So, what, what? G give me some of your overall impressions of the series as a whole before we jump into these first two seasons. Ah, uh, series as a series as a whole. Um, some overall thoughts as a series as a whole is I thought the series did a, a wonderful job developing um, friendships and relationships like amongst the crew members because they were by themselves in the Delta Quadrant, right? So you had the, the relationships between Captain and Chakotay, Captain and Seven, Seven and the Doctor, um, uh, Tom Paris and, and Ensign Kim. Uh, so those were was kind of special because they're they're like they're exploring those things so um i thought those those were those were wonderful they had some as a whole they had some really um comedic kind of interesting episodes you know that um the holodeck episodes that they would have and captain kind of proton the, <laughs> captain proton you know the, those were those were really cool the episodes where the doctor's exploring his his humanity and um you know learning to sing and sing opera you know those 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 are all those are all funny yeah um, the uh is it the is it the french bar or yeah. place that they, they go to all the time uh, for like birthday parties and hangouts and all sorts of stuff paris has like the pool games there and i think that's where the doctor first starts getting into opera and he starts yeah. singing in there yeah yeah 
they were not Voyager as a series. Uh, I felt was very cinematic, and they were not afraid to have um, several kind of two-parter episodes. They'd have like these two-parter episodes in the med- you know, in the middle of the seasons, like um, the Year of Hell, and they they also had an, another two-parter where they went back in time to Earth. I forget the name the name of it, but but it's it's in there. Um, but I really enjoy Scorpion really, Part One and Two. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I really enjoyed those um, because they were trying to do as much as they could. Their their use of bringing in uh, more C, more CGI to make things more more cinematic, and then all of the Borg, um, you know, that I'm sure that we'll talk we'll we'll talk about later. So I really felt like they tried to make things um, big, um, and again, just like the premise of the show, tried to take risks. Um, so. So a lot of those things I felt um, were meaningful. So I really, really enjoy Voyager, actually. So those are some of my 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 overall thoughts on the show as a whole. And then when once we start getting into the the episodes, that'll be fun to fun to take a look at too. But your how about your thoughts like as a whole? Yeah, I think um, you know I have several friends who are Trekkies, several, and and some like Voyager. And some like to to you know talk smack about it. Um, <laughs> that's just you know everybody has their opinion, right? I'm kind of in the middle. Pardon me, I got like mm, a frog mm-hmm. in my throat here. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of in the middle. You know, uh, Voyager is not my favorite series of Star Trek. If you've listened this long enough, you mm-hmm. already know what it is. I'm not going to repeat it because you're probably sick of hearing about it. But I I kind of feel like with Voyager. Voyager to me is a show that is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm. Um, uh, or, 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 or I'm sorry, no, the parts are greater than the sum, the whole, or whatever, whatever the phrase is. Mm. Ba- basically, mean that there's so many things about Voyager I like, rather than like just the the series itself. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like with Voyager. There's maybe a few more clunker episodes in Voyager than most series have. I, I, I there's when I go through and rewatch Voyager, um, and, and I'm and I'm kind of doing that now, but it's it's more of a, it's not a, an every episode in a row thing. It's more of a hey, let me pluck episodes out of seasons, mostly to you know prep for this our episodes of the podcast. I find myself skipping certain episodes every time because i've watched them once or twice i'm like eh, they're just they're just not that great um i think the one thing that weighs voyager down from being approachable for new trekkies uh, is that there it's it's probably the most overloaded of any show with techno babble mm. meaning that they just make up a bunch of stuff like oh the gerben flugen and the the <laughs> the the, the this, that, and the other thing, and we do this with this, and use this to, and and all these these rando techno babble things, um, in order to solve a problem, and that was that's been made known for a long time with the Voyager cast that they had so much techno babble, and they had to nail those their lines, like they had to say it exactly perfect to the mm-hmm. T, because they knew that there are Trekkies out there that would call the show out if. They didn't get the stuff just right. So, um, yeah, m- many, many people I know who are Star Trek fans who, who've said that they have a hard time getting into Voyager because of things like the techno, the overload of techno babble. Um, I do think the series gave us some really, really amazing new aliens like we talked about. Mm-hmm. 
That's that's for sure. We got to meet some incredibly new al- new aliens, some that were only in one episode, others that were recurring characters. But in general, we got some really fantastic new species, new ideas. The Vidians, I think, were a fantastic concept. Um, and we we talked about some of those, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, first half of this episode. So th- those are some things for me, Chris. Uh, I- I'm not a hater of Voyager. I definitely like a lot of things about Voyager. Um, but there are, but there are, you know, some of those things I listed that that don't make um, Voyager in my top three within the franchise. I gotcha. But yeah. again, it doesn't mean I hate it. Yeah. It just means that you know it's not it's not in my top three. Um, but that being said, we kind of gave some overall impressions and thoughts. Let let's jump into the first two seasons. Let let's let's go through. Let's highlight some stuff. Let's talk about some things that stood out to us in these first two seasons. We're doing the same kind of format we've done with Toss, with TNG, and with DS9 in our our looks at those shows in the first three seasons of this podcast. So if you haven't gotten a chance and you want to go back and listen to those, our our, our overall thoughts uh, of each of those series, feel free to go back and listen to those uh, one series per season of of the Random Redshirt podcast. So take it away, Chris. Give me me some uh, some highlights that stood out to you within the first couple seasons. We we won't necessarily go just season one, season two. We'll just kind of mix it all together. Yeah, well, definitely Caretaker is a highlight uh, of the first season, right? Because that is yeah. that is the pilot, and that right. that one gives us the chance to um, to be introduced to all of the main characters, and we see uh, we see Jane May Janeway, Captain Janeway. She has to make she makes this decision, and the decision, um, you know, ultimately strands them in the the Delta Quadrant, and so um, which sets the premise for the show. So. And we, we get introduced to Neelix and we get introduced to um to, to Kess as well. So Caretaker definitely is a is is a highlight um of the show too. Some other ones can that I, uh, so can oh, I yeah, pause one second there for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Real quick. How would you compare like if you looked at so we in the four series, we won't talk about the other series yet, just in the four series that we've talked about, slash reviewed and um looked at on this podcast. Of all the four so far, and I know Toss doesn't really have like a true pilot episode, maybe other than the, the, than the cage. Um, looking at all the pilot episodes only for the for these first four series we've talked about, which where do you where do you think Caretaker stands? Does it stand up with the other pilot episodes, or is it just not as good? Like, what are your kind of thoughts, real quick, on on the, this pilot episode versus the other ones? Yeah, let me um. Kind of refresh my memory in the pilot episodes where we encounter at far point and then this one caretaker and then i'm trying to recall the um the prophet is that the is that the pilot episode for ds ds9 um I'm trying to remember the, the name of it it's escaping me but but i would say this i think caretaker holds up quite well to to the other to the other pilots um yeah, emissary is the pilot name for emissary. Thank you from DS Nine. Yeah, yeah, you're close. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you think it holds up. I think it's fan, I think fan it holds the other up. ones. Yeah, um, it has the benefit of, like you mentioned before, it has the real, real uh, strong benefit of they. Some of the opening scenes are on DS Nine, so I mean, so you like, know, you're not right? wrong. You're not yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. So it's got, and then when when DS Nine came on, right, there was there was a uh, some interactive scenes with Captain Picard. Yeah, Cisco um, wanted to punch his lights out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which so don't it, don't blame him. I mean, you know, he blames him for the death of his of his wife. So 
Yeah. So, um, and I think it holds holds up well because it, it the pilot caretaker holds up well because uh, parallel to Voyager coming out, you had some, I guess, uh, world building and galaxy building in in DS Nine where we're, you're learning about the Maquis um, in DS Nine a little bit too. So when you go into Voyager, um, if you're familiar with DS Nine then you've kind of got some knowledge and background on, on the Maquis and what, what's going on. And so it's not, it's not like a, it's not cold, cold, cold. Yeah. Um, like Encounter at Farpoint was. Encounter at Farpoint was like this cold start. <laughs> and so. Well, it, yeah, yeah. And you have to think too, right? I mean, you're yeah. talking about a brand new Star Trek series that other than, other than the movies is taking place, you know, 20 some, basically 20 years or so after the original series yeah. TV show. I mean, cause the, so it's all Star Trek, but the movies have a different feel and flavor than the TV series do. Yeah. So those are my Okay, right. cool. So yeah. I, I, so I wanted to pause you there for like, I just was curious in your thoughts of Caretaker <laughs> versus the other pilots. Yeah. Yeah, I had that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um some some of the episodes that I thought kind of were, were good to see where there was a learning learning curve episode. Um we we see Tuvok training the Maquis. Crew members, um, and I, th I think those are good to see because you you know you've got at least you have to see some of it because you've got the Maquis relationship with Starfleet, so there's always going to be like conflict and tension there, and you don't want that all the time. But um, you know, I guess how would you feel if you were a Maquis, one of the Maquis officers? How would you feel if you were one of the Starfleet officers? <laughs> so so you see that a little bit. I did like the episode. Uh, I believe this was in season one, called Meld. Um, and this this is where Tuvok mind melds with one of the Maquis crew members um, to try and control his homicidal impulse, impulses because that Maquis crew member was a, a murderer. Uh, so that yeah, was yeah, that was yeah. an intense episode. Yeah, that was intense. Yeah. That was intense. And you know, Tuvok kind of takes it upon himself, thinking, "Hey, I I think I can kind of control this," um, but it has some very very um, detrimental effects to. to Tuvok's mental mental well health too. Um, so that that one stands out to me. Um, another one that for some reason really stands out to me um, with with the early seasons of Voyager. I think I think this was in the in the first or second season, but it was Tuvix, um, and I can't remember exactly which season it was. But but I, I want to say it was season two. But season two, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And that is another transporter accident that we we have we've seen in Star Trek. They really have to fix those transporters, man. <laughs> man. Yeah, I, you understand why Reginald Barkley is so scared of the freaking tra transporters. There's a reason for that. Yeah, I was just thinking about this. I would not. I definitely would not be. Would not want to be um, the crew member that has to go back on the transporter after it's after an accident has happened and they say, Hey, we fixed it. It's ready to go now. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think this would be interesting on, on the Tuvix one um, because I, I think you and I, uh, we've got similar thoughts on the Tuvix episode and, but, but very different thoughts too. too. Um, so I think, I think it is a, it is a really, really a, a great episode. I, this one had challenges in writing. Um, so this is where Neelix and, and Tuvok, get in a transporter accident and they get melded together into one being called called Tuvix. Um, and I had learned that this was intended on being a comedy at first. 
Um, mm. So, so it Tuvix, certainly didn't end yeah. that way. <laughs> Tuvix as a as a as a comedic uh, character, but um, yeah, it is definitely a tragedy. I think it is is well done, like a, as a tragedy, uh, well thought through. I think I learned that um, uh, Brandon Braga was brought in to complete it during writing, during writing, um, and at the end, Tuvix. You know, ultimately, Captain Janeway has to make the decision to end Tuvix's life so that she can get uh, Neelix and Tuvok back. Um, but you see this impassioned plea from Tuvix, you know, desiring to live. Um, and he, he obeys the captain to the end. You know, she has his decision and he completely obeys like her decision. And, and she totally owns her decision. And she has to be the one, um, you know, to, to do the ultimate action to end Tuvix's life and, and get, get Neelix and Tuvok back. And she owns it. Um, not sure what other captains would have done in that situation, but it'd be interesting. But um, we could talk about that. Hey, we can talk though. about it. Yeah. An episode coming to a theater near you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Tuvix gives this impassioned speech at the end, like I said, and that is that reminded me a lot about um, Shakespeare and the Merchant of Venice and, and, and Shylock, you know, that famous quote, if you prick me, do not, do I not bleed? You know, and essentially that, he wants to live. So so I thought that was a terrific episode of Star Trek. Um so that Yeah. 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 So those are, yeah, those those are some of that that stood out stood out to me. But yeah. how about you? How about you? Uh there, there's there's a there's definitely quite a few. I don't know yeah. as philosophical as you, but uh um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean care caretake caretaker I mean it's the pilot, right? I, I thought yeah. caretaker was pretty good. Look, look, okay. We didn't talk about this. We talked about the, the crew members. The, the we met the crew right yeah. in the beginning yeah. uh, when you were going through that. Uh, I was thinking about saving it till the very end of our look at Voyager, but now I decided, okay, so we get caretaker, right? We meet all the characters. And we're going through the first couple seasons. Why the hell couldn't the freaking makeup people decide what to do with Janeway's hair? <laughs> Yes. She even mentions it. She's like, at some point, I think she said, you guys just need to pick something and go with it. Like, Because her hair was constantly, it's a running gag and it's a funny joke to tell all the time at the conventions. But yeah, it's like, make up your mind with their hair. Okay, anyways, off my rant. Um, the phage, the, the phage stands out to me that episode in uh, season yeah. one. We meet the Vidians for the first time. They steal Neelix's lungs and he has to be put into basically the, one of the, like, the, the main like bed chamber thing in, in uh, sick bay. And the doctor comes up with a way to make holographic lungs, but he can't move. Like he can't move at all. Um, and then they have to figure out a way to like, you know, create an artificial lung for him or something. But then I think he only ends up having one lung the rest of the time. Uh, very touching, you know, cause, cause Kess is super concerned and it's a good episode. That's, that's where you meet the Vidians for the yeah. first time. And we've talked about our, our like of the Vidians, uh, oh, the, the concept of maybe not like them is what they do. Right. But, um, eye of the needle first time Voyager maybe has a chance to get home, but we find out it's a micro wormhole. They can't get through and they end up communicating with this Romulan on the other side, who's in the alpha quadrant. And then they find out the end of the, so the end of the show that he actually was, they were talking to Romulan in the past. So the messages that they communicated to him that he would supposedly take to the Federation, would take I don't know how many decades before they were actually delivered or whatever. It was kind of heartbreaking that they find that so late. Uh, faces 
is a really interesting one. Balan is split into two by the Vidians. There's a human mm. and a Klingon version of her, and she has to deal with what all that means. And you see the different parts of her personality come out as a Klingon and then as a, as a human who's very uh, uh, timid and shy and and unsure of herself and everything else. And kind of an interesting look at, at personality and and what what makes up an individual. Um yeah, learning curve, the season one finale where Tuvok's training the Maquis crew members. We start seeing the bio neural gel packs begin to fail aboard the ship, which is another mm. unique ship design for that series. Yeah. They have these gel packs throughout the ship that are required for the ship to operate correctly. So certainly a unique thing for for Voyager, right, Chris? That I mean we never we didn't have that in the other series. So that's certainly something new they throw in there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are um, kind of cool. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just kind of a cool, interesting technology idea that they had for it. Yeah, and and they come into play throughout the series, right? When stuff happens, the ship's the ship's damaged, and the ship gets damaged a lot, and they go through a lot. Uh, those bio neural gel packs always seem to come up. Oh, the bio <laughs> neural gel packs are failing. We're all gonna die, kind of thing. So, um, certainly helps with the plot. You have non sequitur. This I think was an awesome episode. It's a, a Harry Kim centric episode in season two where he wakes up in an alternate timeline where he was never actually assigned to Voyager. His buddy oh. got assigned to Voyager and he did not. And therefore he is not lost in the Delta Quadrant. He's actually on Earth. So while Voyager is trying to find its way home, we get an Earth centric episode. Um, uh, yeah. That's a, that's that's a fun one. And it's a, it's a really good one. Kind of take a look at what Harry's life might have been like had he not been on voyager um one of my favorite probably from the first couple of seasons uh a definite favorite from the whole series actually for me is an episode called twisted where the ship goes through some type of distortion of some kind and, and this or not this inversion field and it begins twisting and changing and they start the people start moving around the ship and they start going to where they think they're going to go they take the they take the um uh the turbo lifts to uh a uh, like the bridge and it ends up turning them up somewhere else. And it's just kind of this like maze episode, right? Where they're trying to get around the ship and they don't know how to get back and really, really good episode. Um, really fun, kind of a little bit of a, a of a mystery type of episode. Um, we get alliances where we meet the trade. We talked about them who are the ones that originally enslaved the Kazon um, and they're playing the victim card. Like it's, it's the, you know, they should be helped because they're victims um, the episode Elo Elogium, I think, or Elogium, if I say it, whatever. Very, very uh, tough episode to watch. So Kess prematurely starts going through the Ocampa version of puberty, but there's a small window that Ocampans have apparent Ocampas have apparently where they can have a child, hmm. and they have to decide very quickly if she wants a child or not. Is she going to have a child with Neelix? Things move very quickly. Neelix starts questioning, does he really want to be a father? It's a it's a look at parenthood. So look at what what people go through as they decide whether they want to be parents or not, or if something is sprung on them, you know, as a surprise, and they're not expecting to become parents, and they do. And so uh, that's a, that's a touching episode. A lot of emotion there uh, between with Kess and Neelix, and um, the, yeah. the possibility of, of of jumping into parenthood. Um, yeah, the thaw. One of the worst episodes of Voyager, maybe one of the worst episodes of Star Trek. Very bizarre episode where they go into this dreamlike thing, and then you have like this just weird, like clowns and weird, weird ass episode. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I, 
I didn't remember that one at all. Maybe I got to. It's go back and watch it, that. Chris. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Go back and watch it. It's super, super bizarre. Like I just, uh, yeah, it's one of those episodes that I skip. Remember when I talked about yeah. how Voyager has a, n- numerous clunker episodes that I skip when I watch through that is on that list. That's season um, two or season one? Season two, I think. Okay. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's, I think it's season two. Um, so yeah, go, go, go watch it. It's, it's, a, uh, yeah, I think it's the, towards the end of season two, but go watch it. If you're interested to see how bad it is, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's Voyager's version of move along home from, <laughs> from DS nine. Yeah. Just, just not, it's not whimsical. It's just, it's just bad. And then, uh, finally for me and another one that stands out and I really love this episode. I'm not a hundred percent sure why I just, it's kind of whimsical in the sense we get, this idea of Neelix beginning to settle into his role as this morale officer, and he's trying to do different things around the ship. And so he creates his own show on board Voyager. Um, and it's all about having people on the show with him. It's almost like his own little version of a podcast, right? Where he yeah. has different crew members on, he goes around the ship and, and, and investigates and learns about different aspects of ship life and talks about them on there. He brings up juicy little nuggets about, you know, romance and it's just a, it's almost like a, like a, you know, a day, a, a daily talk, talk, day, daytime talk show or something with Neelix and kind of a fun, whimsical little approach to it. Uh, Paris pretends he wants to leave the ship in order to infiltrate the Kazon and Seska and doesn't want anybody to realize it. It's very close uh, hold that yes. he's playing this part. Neelix finds out he's very sad. And, you know, we haven't talked a lot about the different relational dynamics uh, amongst the main crew members we can probably cover that later as we go throughout the series or at the end but neelix and tom paris don't get along at the beginning of the show right that's right there's some jealousy factor there because you know neelix is very protective of kess he he obviously loves her and is very 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 jealous you see a kind of a a a, a dark side of neelix come out at times and um he believes at numerous occasions that Paris is trying to, to steal Cass away from him. And that kind of comes to head at, 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 at in a certain episode. And then this episode is after that. So at that point, this point they've kind of buried the hatchet. And there's even a moment where, where Neelix addresses Tom as he's getting ready to leave. And he says, you know, um, I thought we kind of put all that bad stuff behind us. And I, I started to consider you a friend. He's like, yeah, no, we, we are, but this isn't for me. And then you find out that, he was putting on this huge act because they believe, I think, I think at this point, Chris, they, they believe there was a, some type of traitor or spy amongst the crew. They didn't know who it was. So they had to do, they had to be real secret about this to get Paris off the ship to go after Seska um, without this individual um, finding out. And of course we find out later, of course, that it was, you know, uh, crewman, crewman Jonas, Michael uh, Jonas, yeah, um, is the one who's who's sending crap and and everything like that. And there's there's another there's another crew member as well that does some some shady stuff too. But uh, yeah, there th- there were some pretty good episodes in the first two seasons of Voyager. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They 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 were good. They were good. It yeah. was fi- finding its um. It was finding its finding its place, um, and getting better and better and and more creative and. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in the first couple of seasons we got some good some good relational development. Um as we kind of wrap up our our part 1 look at Star Trek Voyager Chris, I'm curious from you uh which 
out of the relationships that have developed thus far through the first two seasons of Voyager, which which relationships they could be romantic relationships or they could be just friendships, which mm-hmm. ones in the amongst the crew stood out to you most or ones that you 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 liked the most? Yeah, th- this one what stood out to me the most in the first couple seasons was the relationship between Janeway and Chakotay. So captain and first officer. So so it, you know I mean it just happened to be that you know it was the Maquis ship that was destroyed and and Chakotay had to come on to Voyager um rather than vice versa and Voyager that was destroyed and and the crew having to go on the Maquis ship. Um but but as they kind of uh you know so that's an interesting dynamic, right? So the the first officer is, you know, was who you were in conflict with, you know, just like a couple hours ago. Um, and so you've got you've got to work that out. Yeah. Um, but then but then through the first couple seasons, they also develop a, a very, very uh, close bond. Um, there's you know, you get the sense that there's some um, infatuation there on on both sides and that and that you know, you know, Chakotay, if Janeway um, provided the opportunity, then you know Chakotay would kind of in, in, embrace that. So that's kind of you kind of had that, I think, in at least the first two seasons. I think they they conclude they conclude that and they kind of resolve that and they put that behind. Um, but those that relationships between between Chakotay and and Janeway stand stand out to me um, as an interesting one as an interesting one. So I'm curious how how about you? What have you got? Yeah, I, I think that's a great um, highlight there with the relationship of, of Janeway and Chakotay. Because obviously, if they had written it to where the, the two of them don't get along or there's some issue, that affects the whole crew. You know, the first officer and the captain really have to have be on the same page and they have to be you know supportive and have a good relationship. The first officer's got to be respectful and back up the captain. So it's a, a good highlight. Um I really enjoyed, uh, and maybe this isn't as deep and philosophical, but I really enjoyed um, the the Harry Kim and Tom Paris friendship. Yeah, I think that was a great friendship that develops. You know, they they as the show progresses, they go on on the holodeck together. They they kind of chase some of the same girls together. Um, they they have a cool friendship. Um, I I really enjoy their friendship quite a bit. Um, I I like. I like some of the not quite friendships, more like standoffish relationships between like Neelix and the, with the Neelix and the doctor and especially Neelix and, and Tuvok, mm-hmm. how, how Tuvok you can tell just kind of like tolerates Neelix and <laughs> Neelix just wants to be friends with the, you know, excuse me, Mr. Vulcan, you know, um, th- those are, those are pretty, pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously Neelix and, and Kess's relationship, uh, it's, Neelix cares deeply for her. He's very sweet and kind and thoughtful with her. Obviously, the jealousy side comes out, and it's it's a it's a you know it's a not so pretty side of Neelix. Um, but there's a lot of good relationships that Neelix, that I think Neelix is centered around in the development of that. Yeah. Um, I, I would say thus far through the first two seasons, I think um, uh, Ensign Kim and Lieutenant Paris's friendship is probably the one one of the ones that I I, I like the most. Nice. Um, I think it's it's fun, it's it's enjoyable. You're like, yeah, I could I, I could totally buy into this idea. These, these guys become two buddies, complete different walks of life, right? Yeah. You know, Ensign Kim's a stand-up Starfleet officer who who's a brilliant has some brilliant engineering to him. And then there's this like rogue dude who is in a federation, you know, rehabilitation. <laughs> 
penal colony thing. And he comes on board Voyager to kind of get out of his sentencing. And they're, they come from different walks of life. You know, Tom Paris has an admiral father. And so it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of, uh, of the odd couple. Yeah. You know, in that regard. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun friendship. It has, it, it, it gives me reminders of like Bashir and O'Brien, that kind of fun, you know, uh, two buddies hanging out kind of thing. Um, certainly enjoy that. And there, there'll be some other relationships that develop later on in the show that we'll discuss that I, that I really enjoy quite a bit as well. So nice. nice. Yeah. That's, that's mine. Yeah. So, well, I think this is a good place to stop and then we'll come back and do part two of Voyager, uh, at a later time. So be sure to stay tuned for that where we'll dive into seasons three, four, and five of Star Trek Voyager. Um, and talk about some of our highlights there, some different things that are developing as we mm -hmm. get into those seasons. There's going to be a lot of changes on the horizon for the show with with characters coming and going. And uh, I think Janeway might make some of the biggest changes as we go into the show. I think the first two seasons, as we as we've seen here so far, uh, she to me, she's just she's too rigid. She's too much obsessed with the idea of having to do everything Starfleet related mm -hmm. um, and and not willing to flex much in order to to do what's needed to to get her crew alive and home and we'll take a look at how this changes in her over time as we go into the the next few seasons um along with the, obviously the development of the other characters too the doctor has an amazing story arc being this just computer program and developing into a full-on fledged sentient life um but lots of, lots of good stuff to come in the next part but uh coming up soon to give you a little bit of a, a, a tease here for those of you listening, we are going to be on with a strange new pod and their Captain Picard week, their podcast festival, Chris, coming up. So we we uh, we're going to be recording an episode for them, and that will be airing on uh, Saturday, February 11th, I believe it is on YouTube. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We will post, of course, links and everything else for you guys to be able to check that out on our Instagram and Facebook page. Speaking of that, be sure to go on Instagram and Facebook and follow us there for all the latest content here on the Random Redshirt Podcast. And of course, our you know pretty much newly created YouTube channel. If you're watching us, then you're already on the YouTube channel. Yes. Um, but if you're listening to us and you want to see the video version of this episode, be sure to go check out our, our uh, YouTube channel. You can just search us on YouTube at the Random Redshirt Podcast and you'll be able to find us there. Uh, it's fairly new, so we, we don't have all of our episodes there. We only have the video recorded ones that we've done. Um, and lots of amazing stuff coming. Oh, my gosh, Chris. The next few weeks for us are going to be jam-packed full of some amazing opportunities, content, and potential uh, significant guest guest appearances. Yeah, it's going to be – Yeah, we've got quite the schedule, and it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a lot of fun. So it's yeah. going to be terrific. We're looking forward to it. And if you haven't listened to our episode with uh, Erica and Mark uh, from the Shuttle Pod show, be sure to go check that out as well and get some more insider info on what's coming here in a couple of weeks down in LA, as well as some more info on the Shuttle Pod show itself. And we'll we'll talk more about we talk more about that with them on that on the previous episode. So go listen to that and be sure to check that out. And uh, yep. Lots of good stuff coming soon. Uh, we'll be back with more Voyager soon as well. And we look forward to bringing you more amazing content coming soon. So this is great, Chris. It's, it's awesome to jump into the fourth installment in the Star Trek franchise. Absolutely, Zach. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening so much. We really do appreciate it all over the globe and the interwebs, <laughs> as Chris says. 
we very much do uh, appreciate uh, you listening. We are uh, very um, thankful for you, and we hope you're doing well, and we look forward to talking with you more right here on the Random Redshirt Podcast.